0: Hey everyone, it's Ramon and welcome to the Human Optimization Podcast. Science-based tools to optimize your physiology, master your mind, and unlock your potential. Now, before we get into the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Brain First, Earth Grown Evidence-Based Nutrition. One of the products that I love and I take every workday to fire up my brain and get laser-like focus and into flow quickly is Genius Mode. It took me years of research and testing to formulate Genius Mode for Brain First. It has the best science-backed ingredients for peak mental performance in meaningful doses supported by experimental data. I personally take it shortly after I wake up. And the focus and the drive and the motivation and the mental clarity lasts me all day. Now to get Genius Mode, use code RAMON for 10% off in addition to any other subscription discounts that you get on the BrainFirst website. Just head to mybrainfirst.com and you'll see a bunch of reviews from other people who are absolutely loving this product mybrainfirst.com, code Ramon for 10% off, and get your brain an instant upgrade. Let's get into the episode. Enjoy, my friends. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Emron Mayer. Emron is a medical doctor and a distinguished professor in the Departments of Medicine, Physiology, and Psychiatry at the School of Medicine at UCLA, Executive Director of the G. Oppenheimer Center for Neurobiology of Stress and Resilience, and co-director of the CURE Digestive Diseases Research Center at UCLA. He's a world-renowned gastroenterologist and neuroscientist with 35 years of experience in the study of clinical and neurobiological aspects of how the digestive system and the nervous system interact in health and disease. Uh, So I love the new book. Uh, I'm actually still going through it, Uh, and each time I pick it up, I certainly learn something new. And I'd really love to dive into uh, some of the ideas that you present here. And for our listeners, guys, it's called the Gut Immune Connection. Now, uh, one of the things that you mentioned is that over the last uh, 75 years, there's a number of serious and and seemingly unrelated chronic illnesses, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, uh, autoimmune disorders, cancer, chronic liver disease, uh, and brain disorders, such as uh, depression, uh, autism spectrum disorder, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, they've all been uh, steadily rising, uh, and some of them at pretty alarming rates. Uh, What do you think is going on here?
1: Yeah, so, you know, as a physician and um, lifelong scientist, I'm obviously always very careful to make this this string theory kind of – you know, uh, models of, of, of anything, uh, even though it's often tempting to explain everything with a simple solution or a simple cause. But I think from working on the book and looking at all these different aspects, um, it, it sort of becomes obvious that um, there's certain similarities of all these diseases. So First of all, they've all been increasing, you know, around the same time. They all have their onset has moved gradually for most of them to younger um, um, patient populations. So what happened at old age now it happens at, at middle age. Some things like colon cancer, even younger, um, or inflammatory bowel disease to you know childhood. Um, there's another thing that um, in in all these diseases, there have been um, anecdotal evidence over the years that inflammation or that an anti-inflammatory medication has benefits. So it started you know with the low dose um, aspirin for, for coronary disease and um, the non steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs for colon cancer. And um, yeah, so for, for many of these, you know and, and this has never been couldn't really be explained by a coherent theory why that is the case, just indicating there is still inflammatory or it's immune activation um, that plays a role. And so then came another piece to that puzzle by understanding how the interaction of um, the standard American diet or the the Western diet uh, interacts with the microbes, which then leads to changes in the barrier function of the small intestine, which essentially separates the microbes from the gut-based immune system, the biggest part of our immune system. And these immune cells, they don't just stay there, they they travel, they come in from outside, they stay in the gut, they're exposed to influences from this this, uh, microbial interaction, then they can travel to all distant sites throughout the body. And they not only can travel themselves but also the molecules that they secrete the cytokines or their cell wall components like lipopolysaccharide. they can travel through the systemic um, circulation to any of the other organs. So so we have a system now, you know where we have any clinical similarities with these diseases, the time course um, and um, we also have a link with but well, then there's another link, you know, they're all interrelated. So if somebody has, um, uh, for example, Parkinson's disease or um, uh, Alzheimer's disease, they have these, what's called comorbidities. Um, so this means it's more likely that there's other disorders like depression uh, associated. If, if you have one of these diseases, you're more likely to have several of them. And um, that's clearly also true about you know metabolic syndrome, so increased blood pressure, increased blood lipids, and hypertension, and um, um, so the cholesterol, the, um, the, the hypertension, and the body weight. Uh, um, if you have that constellation, you're more likely to have several other of these diseases, almost, it increases the risk for all the other ones. So, i think if you put this all together you can formulate this hypothesis and in science we put up hypotheses test them and if they don't hold up then we reject them and modify them so right now i think we have pretty good evidence to to you know trust this hypothesis or sort of accept it and uh, that there is that the the diet and the microbiome play, and the immune system play an important role in them.
0: Mm -hmm. You also say that there's a growing uh, mismatch between the gut microbiome, which can quickly adapt uh, to our diet and the gut. How does this disrupt the normal function of our immune system and alter our uh, brain-body network?
1: Yeah, so there's there's a couple of these mismatches. So obviously, our immune system um, is some form of an ancient stress response system. It senses perturbations in the homeostasis of the body and then reacts with, with inflammation. Some people have speculated that actually this kind of system happened before we had a, a brain-based uh, neural stress response system. And for both of these systems, you know, they have been they have been preserved over evolution for, uh, for millions of years. You know, we have, uh, very, I mean, there hasn't been much experimentation with those two systems over different species over, you know, millions of years of evolution. And so we have systems that have saved the human species many times over from extinction, uh, from, from infections, from, from other perturbations and, um, so in terms of the stress, the neural stress response, it's the fight and flight response um, that it gets engaged. You know, if there's a threat to the to the homeostasis of the organism, and then we have the immune response. Uh, you know, starting in in, in the gut um, that responds to anything that comes in uh, through the gut, um, be it diet, be it infections, does the same thing. The only problem has been that. Um, our stressors have changed dramatically. So most of us uh, in, in Western countries or in developed countries are no longer faced with a need for, for activating the fight and flight response, even though it's still there, you know, unfortunately. Um, and and the same thing, you know, at, at the gut level, um, our diet has changed dramatically and um, our our gut microbiome is a master in the rapid adaptation to different types of diets, because you know with their millions of genes and uh, it, it's they can within twenty four forty eight hours they can adapt to from a omnivore diet or a carnivore diet to a vegeta- vegetarian diet. But the gut has not. The the gut is essentially you know regulated by our twenty thousand genes, human genes, including the immune system. And it's much less adaptable and takes much longer to really make major changes in that system. So now you have the juxtaposition of a rapidly adapted gut microbiome, which is quite different from 75 years ago, um, with a fairly conservative, stable, uh, static uh, immune system. And that perceived stress or perturbation now is, leads to the activation of, of 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 the immune system, even though, um, you know, some people have speculated if you wait another, if we survived another couple hundred years or thousands of years, because genes take, you know, um, thousands of years before they actually get modified um, permanently. And um, so if, if, if you were on a diet for, for a prolonged period of time, thousands of years, then our gut and immune system would adapt to it and we would no longer have the health problems. But obviously, hopefully that won't happen, that we stick with our current diet for several thousand more years. Um, and so now we're dealing with a, you could say, you know, some people have called this chronic stress that we're exposed to both psychologically and diet-wise as allostatic load, which means a the stress systems try to respond in their traditional way to fight the perturbation, um, even at the cost of the host, us. So, um, you know, in terms of the stress response, that is hypertension, which is a good thing acutely to to have a higher physical performance. It's chronically, it goes against, it's it's maladaptive. The same thing with, with the gut, you know, the, the adaptation to these dietary changes which are chronic um, and persistent um, have have not really um, so we continue now to have a, an immune response that's maladaptive that there's, there's no need for us to have a chronic engagement of the immune system by what we eat you know so and hopefully i could explain this correctly it's it's, it's a little bit difficult to understand for somebody who hasn't thought about this before in these terms but Um, in, in, in summary, our immune system, um, under the allostatic load of our unhealthy diet, increasing allostatic load, um, is responding in a way that is maladaptive now for us, for our health.
0: I'd love to, uh, talk about some of the things that we can do to improve our gut health. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that, um, a little bit later, but I think, so that we're all on the same page and for our listeners to get a better understanding of this what makes a healthy gut because i know that this has been something that's been talked about and people have found it difficult to define and conceptualize so what what makes a healthy gut
1: yeah so this is something that i deal with in a whole chapter in 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 my new book <clears throat> so you could say um I mean, the gut is not just one organ, one homogenous organ, it's composed of multiple cell types that all interact. There's immune cells, there's, um, there's hormonal cells, there's nerve cells, epithelial cells, and they, they all interact with with each other. So if that system, and it makes up a system or a connectome, a gut connectome, um, which has sort of been a, become a catchword in science for, for interconnected systems, and um, if, if that system is, is in balance, that means you have a normal activity of the uh, enteric nervous system in your gut, so generate normal peristalsis, um, resulting in normal bowel movements. If the immune system is not chronically activated, uh, if the hormonal cells function properly, um, turning off your appetite after a meal, um, if, if, if all these systems all localized in the gut and all interacting with each other, if they work um, properly, then I think you could say you have a healthy gut. Um, but most of these systems have gotten out of balance. You know, they're not, and probably the most serious one, um, even though you could argue what what is the most serious one, but just give you a couple of examples. One is this, um, this compromised uh, gut barrier. So now that microbes, which are normally separated from the immune system in the gut by this, uh, you know, thick mucus layer and the that barrier of, epi- of gut wall cells, epithelial cells, if if that is compromised, then microbes, uh, either their signaling molecules or the actual microbe, gets into the gut-based immune system because they're kind of little pores in the, in 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 the gut lining and they get into the systemic circulation and can travel anywhere in the body and induce the state of inflammation another example major consequences is the regulation of the um of of these different cell types in the gut uh, through microbial signals like short chain fatty acids or secondary bile acids if they don't work properly then you have for example an ins- insufficient release of satiety hormones. So normally when we eat something, um, you know, nutrients get into the end of the small intestine, to the ileum, they interact with these, um, formerly we, we thought they interact directly with these cells to release satiety hormones that then go up either through the blood or through the vagus nerve and shut off your, your appetite and stop eating. In the meantime, we know that a big regulatory factor in the regulation of these cells are these microbial metabolites. So, you know, short chain fatty acids generated from plant-based foods, complex carbohydrates, and secondary bile acids generated from bile secreted into the intestine. If that happens, if you this feedback, this inhibitory feedback system on your appetite uh, and, and, and on your craving, is compromised, then you will keep eating even though your body doesn't need the calories. So two examples, you know. of um, Now we don't know really in 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 humans in mouse models you can always um, create artificial situations that you just see one thing. Uh, in humans you can't do that, so we don't know what relative proportion the microbes have in these in these regulations of the gut connectome. Um, But certainly an unhealthy gut, that's how we started, um, is when all the fine-tuning of all these different cell types is out of balance. Immune cells, the hormonal cells, the nerve cells, um, the epithelial cells. um, Gut function continues. So this has nothing to do with actually the digestive um, function of the GI tract that I'm trained in. You know, we didn't look at the gut like as as a as a connectome of multiple cell types. We thought about it. It's it's the it's the conduit that moves food through like a conveyor belt and breaks it down and and assimilates it. Those functions are not really altered. It's interesting. It's it's the regulatory functions that are altered, and and that's what um, an unhealthy gut is. Mm. How, how can we test for this? Um, that that is more difficult. Um, so you can um, so you can obviously you know there are some stool tests that look at microbial composition. So you can see is there a state of what's called dysbiosis. So the relative abundances of microbes that normally you know um, make up a healthy gut microbiota uh, ecosystem, if those are altered. Th- that technology, which is available commercially, is not very representative or accurate or has not allowed to make any predictions, um, counter to the claims of the manufacturers of these. Um, so you cannot say, based on this, you have to eat differently or based on these results, you have a high risk of, of Alzheimer's disease or um, The next generation, also one company, Biome, makes this next generation, that looks at um, what's called metatranscriptomics, so what genes are being expressed uh, by these these microbes. This gets closer to the function of the microbes, and ultimately what affects us as the host is really the, the, the complex functionality of the microbiome. What do all these molecules together you know, how do they influence the brain, the gut, uh, the little brain of the gut. Um, And so, you know, there are now the first tests available for that. The interpretations and the recommendations of that, I believe, you know, will require further validation in very large data sets like, you know, artificial intelligence. It it will ultimately, I think, allow us to get a pretty good idea of uh, if this is a healthy a healthy ecosystem. Uh, going further, you can look at inflammatory markers in 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 the systemic circulation, um, which which gives you some idea you know of um, the main cause for that would be if an increased number of these concentrations, the main cause would come from the microbiome and from this compromised uh, gut barrier. And, um, you,
0: you're talking about things like C-reactive protein and interleukin yeah, yeah. six, and okay, yeah,
1: yeah and 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 lipopolysaccharides. Uh, so that's also being done now in, in in some places, and so you can say somebody has the state of what we call metabolic to- uh, endotoxemia. Endotoxemia means um, systemic immune activation. And it's not infectious, um, but it's metabolic. It's caused by by the diet. So there are ways of getting closer to this. Uh, they're not routine tests, and as I said, I think the microbiome studies have to be currently available. Have to be dealt with caution. Um, often, it's it's leads to some abuse of that because you know it's 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 not frequently done in in physician's practices or the patients do it at home before they come to the physician. I see many patients that come with this 15 page report of all the things that are wrong with their numbers. And then they they also come with a bag of supplements that their physician has given them to correct for that. And that's obviously, uh, you know, snake oil selling at the moment. It's um, And some people think they feel better, you know, there's always the placebo response. Um, and, but this has not led to the kind of exciting science and new medicine that we all hope or believe in will come in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, talk about diet. What are some key uh, dietary studies or interventions that have been shown to impact or perhaps uh, better regulate the brain gut microbiome network?
1: So, I mean, there's, there's two types of diets that have been studied um, with, um, I mean, most of the diet studies are cross-sectional, you know, epidemiological uh, case control studies. So, they do not allow you to make a conclusion that there's a causality between the diet and the disease. But if you compare large populations, which has been done by epidemiologists, by, by epidemiologists, large populations that... Are otherwise similar. One consuming a plant-based diet, and the other one is on the, the standard American diet. Then you see pretty dramatic differences in the in the prevalence of of many of these diseases that we talked about. You know, from cardiovascular to Alzheimer's to Parkinson's. Um, and um, so then, the, more more recently, there's a few studies that have come out. Um, you know. Mainly done with uh, plant, with the Mediterranean type diets, uh, with slight variations, as the Mind diet and as the Dash diet, um, but they all kind of had the same idea of a largely plant-based diet, with lots of fiber and polyphenols, and, uh, and less amount of, uh, less or no amount of of red meat, or or animal products, and those studies have shown. So the epidemiological studies clearly suggest there's a, a major difference of if you're on the right diet. And the, the smaller number of interventional studies, uh, which are fairly well controlled, um, have shown that on a diet like this, you can not only change the microbial composition, but also their metabolites, inflammatory markers in the systemic circulation. And when they did cognitive testing on these people, um, they showed improvement in in cognitive function. So there's so in this case, they no longer compared it with a with a group that um, was on a different diet, but they they isolated it, you know that um, people that went on this specific diet had these these positive changes, and they were interrelated. So not a coincidence that you get microbial changes, um, systemic immune changes, and cognitive function improvement w- with an intervention. So I would say the evidence is, is, is very strong for the, for the, for the epidemi- uh, epidemiology. And it's beginning to provide evidence, several studies now, um, that the, the interventions actually cause these, these positive changes
0: um from a mediterranean or mediterranean type approach
1: yeah and and the uh, you know the reason i mean there's nothing magic about the, the traditional mediterranean diet i mean most so the the um initial reports were from the 50s um Ansel Keys you know went to um um to a a, a greek island and studied the population there this was obviously this was after World War II, uh, where, you know, this was almost like uh, the, the 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 underdeveloped world at at the time. Uh, people having the bare minimum, living a very simple life, a uh, lot of socializing, didn't have the money to buy, you know, more expensive foods, and so very different situation than than we have today. Um, in, so this was in, in in Crete. This initial study, very different situation we have today. If you go to Athens or to Rome or to Barcelona, um, where you know there's lots of meat in the diet, uh, lots of animal products, lots of sugar, um, and there's even studies that have suggested that you know kids in in Scandinavian countries are more eat a diet that's more similar to the traditional Mediterranean diet than in many of the Mediterranean countries. So you have to be careful what what it, what it is, you know, uh, I, I would say the best um, description are largely plant-based diet with minimal processing um, and a great reduction of, of animal products um, and, a, and a great variety of the fruits and vegetables. I mean, those would be the criteria that you would say is are, are the key elements. And from all of this, um, you know, there's, there's, there's still a debate: is it the reduction in red meat? Um, is it, or is it just the increase in in a varied uh, supply of, of um, you know, vegetables and uh, fruits in, in diet? With the meat, it's another thing. You know, so on, on Crete, on these initial studies, these are mainly sheep uh, and goats that they ate, um, which Raised on the the, the 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 hills of of Crete, they, they were not raised the way that our farm animals are 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 raised, which obviously affects you know the milk that comes from the animals, but also the fat content um, and and the composition of the meat. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so this is a this is a, a very important thing. Um, I personally have kind of put aside eating meat, red meat, definitely um, partially for ethical reasons, or partially for health reasons. but um, you know i'm 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 not a militant vegan, that would say um, you know it's it's terrible for your health if if you have any meat in your diet. it depends a lot what kind of meat it is and how it was raised and how often and the animals suited with antibiotics. And I mean, there's just so many things we do in industrial farming, you know, that it's not the same. Like a goat in 1950 on Crete is very different from, from a cow, you know, uh, in, a, in a food processing plant in, in the U.S. today.
0: Mm. So you're suggesting that that could, in fact, make a significant difference if, you know, depending on how the animals are raised, grass-fed, uh you know the the use of antibiotics or not these sorts of things in terms of the quality of the meat i
1: i think it it, it must make a huge difference you know i mean we do know that um and a cow that's um that's really grass-fed throughout um its life you know has a different uh, for for example the ratio of omega 3 to omega6 uh, fatty acids is different than one that um, you know was was, was raised in a, in a feedlot with with a very unhealthy diet um, you know corn uh, and 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 soybeans so we're, we're actually we're eating meat from animals that are in the diet that's terrible for them you know so that's another and and I don't know if people have studied the I mean, it's obviously met- metabolic consequences, but do these cows have similar um, metabolic endotoxemia that are on a diet that is not consistent with their gut? I would I would guess there are, you know, I, I would um, just based on the same concepts we discussed earlier that the immune system will react to something that doesn't belong there. Um, but, you know, we don't, here too often, I mean, what's the antibiotic content of a of a typical steak that you buy or a hamburger, and what's the um, the the LPS content or the, the CRF a CRP content of of of, of such a, a meat product?
0: We know how important diet is for a healthy brain, uh, for a healthy gut, uh, and our microbiome. How do things like sleep and exercise affect our microbiome?
1: Yeah. So I, I looked at this and the literature, you know, So starting with exercise, um, make a long story short, I think a, a moderate, um, a moderate amount of regular, uh, that, that would mean daily exercise, uh, has been shown to have positive effects on gut microbial relative abundances. Um, and, you know, it, it has an anti-inflammatory effect. <clears throat> and and there's many studies, you know, again, these epidemiological studies that have shown it's one of the factors that um, that adds uh, healthy um, years to your life in, in uh, longevity. If you look at this at age 50, it predicts, it's one of the predictive factors of, you know, who is healthy for 10 years in their 70s or 80s. What's different is that um, um, if 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 you're an ultra marathoner, I, I don't know if you are, or an extreme sport, um, um, you know, competitive sports person, that kind of activity is perceived by the body as stress. I mean, it is obviously there is severe stress on everything from the bones to the muscle to um, you know to to the immune system. And that has been shown in several studies that has a, an effect that's kind of similar to a very unhealthy diet with uh, a change in the microbiota, change and in, uh, an increase in the leakiness of the gut uh, increase of immune parameters in the systemic circulation. So you get a state that you, you just see the same way as you see it with unhealthy diet or with other types of chronic stress. You know, So if, if you're chronically psychologically stressed, and get into this allostatic load um, spectrum, then that, I mean, it seems like the body reacts to these kind of stressors, these chronic severe stressors in a similar way, regardless if it's, uh, you know, if it's extreme exercise or if it's an unhealthy diet, or if it's extreme stress, uh, psychological stress. Um, there's another thing that, um, this is something for, for high performance athletes again, some very interesting studies that um, there's certain microbes that can uh, metabolize lactic acid. So when you do do a high performance, uh, you know, run a marathon, then a, a lot of lactic acid is produced in, in your blood. <clears throat> and normally that limits your, your full capacity of performance. That lactic acid can actually get into the gut, um, diffuse into the gut and there's certain groups of, of microbes that can metabolize lactic acid into short chain fatty acids, which are these um, you know this health promoting, not only health promoting but also it's a form of nutrition that can be absorbed and then in the liver um, you know metabolized to to, to 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 fuel. So some some high performance athletes have that kind of my, a microbial ecosystem that can do this and obviously will contribute significantly to the to their performance capacity. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting stories around diet and um, uh, around physical exercise and performance and endurance and uh, and 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 the microbiome. I would say the most important take-home lesson for the majority of people is that the regular exercise, um, moderate exercise has a A beneficial effect on gut microbial on the gut microbial ecosystem Mm
0: -hmm. and uh uh, what about sleep how does sleep affect the uh, microbiome
1: um yeah so sleep is another thing so during sleep um so most people's uh, gi tracts are empty and uh, the gi tract switches to a, a unique pattern of contractions and activity um meaning there's this, this rhythm going through from the esophagus to the end of your colon that every 90 minutes, you have this high amplitude contractile wave, um, which is associated with uh, secretion of, um, of fluids, mucus, uh, that, that cleanses the, your entire GI tract. And what we know now today with the microbiome, it, it, puts, it puts the microbes in the right places. So if there's too many microbes in the, in the small intestine, something that you know has been referred to as um, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, if you have a regular um, fencing function of, of this migrating motor complex, you won't develop that because it, it will always move things down into the end of the small intestine and into the colon where these microbes belong. So th- that's one aspect of it. The, uh, the other aspect is there have been studies now that have looked at the, um, at the at the ge- what's called the geography of the, the gut microbes with the intestinal wall. Um, so during um, and this has been could only be studied in 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 mouse models for sleep and waking time is is sort of the opposite. You know, darkness is their their activity time, and so so the microbes. Um, The distance that the microbes keep from the intestinal lining and the immune cells um, varies between day and night, um, between having a full full, um, intestine and one that's empty. Um, And that has consequences for not just in the gut, but these cells then, this gene expression patterns affect the liver. Uh, And it's been shown if that's interrupted that um, the 24-hour diurnal rhythm uh, then people develop, you know, um, symptoms and signs of of systemic immune activation and metabolic syndrome, and with all the other consequences. So, sleep has a very important function, I would say, in 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 regulating the health of the gut microbiome. Um, the other way around. Um, so you know, a lot of people complain of symptoms such as fatigue and, you know, having to nap frequently through the day. And um, that potentially could also be related to, or actually quite likely to the immune, to the immune activation in the gut through the microbial pathways. Because these cytokines, when they get to the brain, one of the initial symptoms that they produces fatigue and, and, and sleepiness. So it's definitely a bi-directional interaction, you know, that, um, but, but I think for health, most importantly to understand that your regular uh, exercise for the normal person is, is a very important component uh, equally to a healthy diet. And that um, if you wanna be an ultra marathoner or high performance athlete, uh, you should be aware of that of that risk, uh, you know this metabolic risk that you take uh, doing that and I don't know if the field has really responded to that you know by uh, i mean adapting the diet um, if you're an ultramarathon this would I've had several patients you know that were in this category, and instead of recommending sort of the um, The high-carb energy drink before the race, um, which would make that even worse. You know, um, what what you would recommend is a largely plant-based diet for for these athletes Um, for a variety of reasons that we mentioned in this conversation. One is you might be lucky and you have the microbes that are nurtured by this diet that gives you additional short-chain fat.
0: I don't know what's happening here. So maybe, yeah, we just jumped to the end. Um, Any final thoughts for our listeners? And hopefully we can record this really quickly and it won't uh, drop out again.
1: Yeah, so my my recommendation also in terms of, you know, the diet. um, So one is diet is one essential part of a healthy lifestyle, which includes, um, you know, diet, physical exercise, sleep, and stress reduction. All of these should be addressed at the same time. Second, um, as part of the healthy diet recommendation, you should always keep the the health of your microbes um, in mind. If you eat a diet that is optimal for your microbial, um, for the health of your microbial ecosystem, which is a diet full of plant fiber and these large molecule polyphenols, it will automatically be optimal for you. It will give you enough protein, um, and will decrease any, um, um, you know, compromising your gut barrier. Um, and um, and 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 then the third thing is, it's not just what you eat. It's also where does this food come from, um, and when you eat it, uh, and what impact does it have the production of this food on on the environment and on the planet. So I, I I think these are, you know, a few very simple guidelines that they're not that difficult to implement, you know, it's, it's you have to have a certain consciousness. When you approach food, you don't just go by what's the latest fat diet, then what the author has come up with kind of ridiculous or sort of pseudoscience to support it. Um, it's it's quite simple, you know, to to follow this, and um, and and I think more and more people do so in the U.S. I don't know has in Australia, uh, but even in 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 the U.S. and other predominantly meat eating countries like Argentina and Brazil, there, there is a rapid increase, continuous increase, particularly amongst younger people, um, in a largely plant based diet. So I, I think that's that's a good develop a good trend.
0: Mm, mm. Emron, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time.
1: Okay, thanks, Ramon. It was a pleasure as usual.
0: So that's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, drop a five-star review, and of course you can connect with me on social with the links in the description. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.